Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, the NFL, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 147. This week was the first scoregami of the year in the NFL. This was the 1,067th scoregami that's ever been, you know, that's ever happened. Uh, the Rams and Giants game ended at a 38-11 score, which has never happened before in the history of the NFL. Boom. Fun fact. Interesting. I didn't know. How did I miss that there was a scoregami? Like, generally, it's I don't not miss on top of it. Well, Mike... Well, Mike, if you need a place to find all of your Scorigami updates, and for our listeners as well, get on Twitter, at NFL underscore Scorigami. They give you every single update on every single game. They also give you the percentage, the percent likelihood that the game will end in a Scorigami as well. It's it's quite fascinating. It really helps my NFL Sunday. Or you could just go to NFLScorigami.com. That's what I use. That's awesome. Or that. But there was no scoregami this weekend in college football, at least between Iowa State and Purple Kansas in Farmageddon. Uh, At the start of the game, the official uh, actually said, welcome to Farmageddon. So he was playing into it, playing into the crowd. Uh, it It was a beautiful night in Manhattan, Kansas. Yours truly was in attendance for this game and let me tell you was it a fun game to be at to be an Iowa State fan uh not like the game two years ago where it was uh absolutely frigid and K-State or Iowa State was woeful on offense but this game had a little bit of everything I mean it started out right off the bat 75 yard uh touchdown run by Brees Hall and From there on, it really never felt like the game was that... I mean, it felt close at some points, but it never really felt like the game was out of Iowa State's control. Uh, They really just commanded that first quarter uh, with and opened up with that Brees Hall run. The offense went stagnant for a bit. They were 0-3 on third down throughout the entire first quarter. But in the second quarter, and especially in the third quarter, Iowa State's offense really opened it up. Um, with this win against K-State, it is uh, Iowa State's first time winning in Manhattan at the Bill uh, since 2004. Matt Campbell now has a win against every single Big 12 team on the road, uh, which is a very interesting statistic, that, courtesy of Mike providing that for this episode. Uh but yeah, you're. I mean, you're stars of the game. Brock Purdy on offense. He was not, had a ninety percent completion percentage for two hundred eight yards, one touchdown. Uh, absolutely spectacular catch uh, in the end zone by Sean Shaw on a great throw by Purdy. Brees Hall was fantastic. Thirty attempts, one hundred and ninety seven yards, and two touchdowns on the day. Uh, and Andrew Mevis was four for four from distance. All of those field goals, 40 plus yards, uh, with his longest being a 44 yarder. Uh, he w- ended up being the Big 12 Special Teams Player of the Week um, it's for, for the Cyclones. And it, it was just 
all around it was never close except for 10 to 7 uh i believe late in that first quarter so the cyclones were in control of this game yeah they were they they pretty much did dominate this game um i am going to nitpick though because that's that's what i do right what did i say was the most important thing for this game on last week's episode anybody punting no touchbacks i said touchbacks were the most important and they didn't do the touchback percentage was better in the second half for sure but first two kick returns were they, big well, kick returns for k-state yeah the fir- i mean the first the first half i think there was one touchback the second half there were no kickoffs that weren't touchbacks yeah. But basically, you almost gave away all the momentum you had twice in the first half by giving up near kick return touchdowns both of those times in the in the second half in the first in the first quarter, and that that was a travesty. Touchbacks are key. Why are you kicking it anywhere near that um, kick returner? Second nitpick: punting. You did bring that up too. We had some bad punts in that game. Bad punts killed us against Iowa, while well, also turnovers. But bad punts are one of the things that killed us against Iowa. Um, we ended up winning, which is why I can nitpick at this. But um, yeah, punt better. And then thirdly, um, finish drives. Iowa State, again, kicking four field goals means they were not able to finish drives that they had got down um, closer um, into K-State territory. You're going to have to finish drives um, against the likes of Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Texas if you're going to want to keep winning. So those are my three nitpicks. A good game. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to be super critical. That was a good game. They did what they needed to do to win, but you can still be better. So be better. Do those things better. I think, I think one thing that I actually thought was incredibly surprising was K-State's lack of urgency at all in the second half when they were down. I think that is something that ended up helping Iowa State tremendously in this game. The offense, I wouldn't say the offense was lights out until the second half, and even then they weren't they weren't really firing on all cylinders. Um, but K-State's lack of urgency on offense, every single time they had a running clock, it seemed like they were huddling, checking at the line, uh, not really hurrying it up, so they never could get back in the game if they wanted to, um, which really kind of helped Iowa State just bleed this game out uh, and maintain a lead. Um, I, I will say I was I was very pleased with the the um, third aspect of our special teams unit with the kick the uh, field goal kicking uh, yes. game um, that was awesome, but I. The offense just stalls at times. I think we're still really conservative with some of our play calling. I don't know if they're saving some plays for some of these bigger opponents, but it it just, I, I don't know. It, it was the right opponent at the right time uh, for the Cyclones. Uh, they did dominate the time of possession, uh, had more than 10 minutes of time of possession, or 10 minutes more uh, than Kansas State. Uh, they did win the turnover margin, which was a good thing. They also had three sacks for 26 yards in this football game as well, uh, keeping Skylar Thompson in check. He wasn't very efficient, effective with his legs, but Deuce Vaughn was able to find some pretty big holes uh, in that defense. Um, the run defense is going to have to be huge 
let's let's look forward a little bit and what is forward for these cyclones it is a matchup against oklahoma state homecoming a 230 kick on fox um and iowa state or oklahoma state excuse me is a top 10 team coming into ames iowa for this game oklahoma state is a is more of a run heavy team uh in the past spencer sanders has been able to uh throw the ball to the outside effectively he does not have those same type of weapons that he has before um so oklahoma state is starting to lean more on their run game they are 96th in the in the nation in total rush yards per game uh at about 170 but they only throw for 212 uh it so that there's a there's a little bit of a discrepancy there they're pretty much even uh in where they get their yards from they only score about 26 and a half points per game whereas iowa state is scoring 33.7 on paper iowa state has the better offense and on paper iowa state has the much better defense uh oklahoma state's run defense is ranked 29th in the nation uh, where Iowa State's run defense is ranked 28th. So they're they're right next to each other in that respect. But Iowa State's passing defense is way more efficient. Um, so I, I think there's going to be a huge opportunity for some play-action passes for Brock Purdy and the offense this week. I would like to see a little bit more effort and a little bit more um, production out of Tyreek, or Tariq Milton and Xavier Hutchinson. Both have been... Uh, very, very quiet for this football team as of late. Yeah, and all those stats you just named is how you end up in a situation like we're at this weekend where you're playing an undefeated team who's ranked number eight in the nation, yet you're still seven, and you're unranked, yet you're still seven-point favorites and, according to ESPN's Football Power Index, given a 78% chance to win that game. That's an insanely high number for playing an undefeated top 10 team at home. So the, the metrics, despite Oklahoma's, uh, Oklahoma State's undefeated record and ranking, the metric likes Iowa State. I mean, part of that just has to be because basically every game Oklahoma State's played in has been close. They beat Missouri State by 7, Tulsa by 5, Boise State by 1, K-State by 11, Baylor by 10, Texas by eight. So all of their games have been 11 or less points despite the, uh, despite the wins. Um, so that's why this game is viewed as very winnable and the Cyclones are favored um, in this game. Um, it will be a 2.30 kickoff on Fox. Um, my keys to this game are a lot what you just said, Kyle. It's going to be the play-action pass, and then it's going to be, again, getting out to an early, quick start. Because as you mentioned, Oklahoma State's pass game is not dominant. So if you get out to a lead, you force that run game. You force them to to rely on that passing game more than the run game, just like you made K-State do. You're going to have the advantage. I liked what Matt Campbell did against K-State and asked for the ball. They won the toss and asked for the ball. Get that offense on the field and get momentum. That worked well against K-State, a very very rush first team i would do the same thing against oklahoma state again get off to an early lead and let's uh and let's make them try to throw the ball on this defense which i don't think they're going to have much success doing yeah and i mean if you if you get 
if you're able to get that ball and receive that opening kick, you you better have you better have a scripted your ten scripted plays for the start of the game just, that just are to, guaranteed to get you a t- get you points on the board. Just to run uh, it for seventy five yards. It, that, that that would be fantastic. Just, just but do that. you're you're not going to have that type of defensive breakdown on the first play every single game of the year, unfortunately. But it when it happens, it is very nice. Uh, so I I think everything that Mike said, yeah, I I feel uh, very confident in his analysis and just I I think Iowa State needs to shut down the run early make spencer sanders beat us uh i think that's going to be the key um make him throw it outside and stop that run i think is going to be a big thing uh make sure spencer sanders is another one of those mobile quarterbacks um so if we are rushing three i watch out for whoever is going to be the spy of this game either mike Wright, rose or orion vance um, so look for them to have a big impact in trying to slow down Spencer Sanders' legs uh, so that doesn't get them um, those rushing yards. So it, it should be a fun one. Um, Iowa State under Matt Campbell in October is 15-2, and two, so it, it, it bodes well for those Cyclones. Um, I'm not both, going to... Both of those losses in October under Matt Campbell are to Oklahoma State, though. Yeah. Just saying, like 2019 homecoming, we we did this before. 2019 homecoming, Oklahoma State, Iowa State favorites, game they got a wind that the Purdy throws. I think it was three interceptions in that game. Didn't look good, and the Cyclones lose. Like, yeah, I'm 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 just gonna be that guy. Like we were here in 2019, so don't do that again. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Don't throw three interceptions, Brock Purdy. Oklahoma State has been a lot like Iowa in that um, they've sort of been relying on that defense to create turnovers and create havoc. It's not nearly as good as Iowa's defense is, but they've sort of been relying on that same model. So if you don't do what you did against Iowa and turn the ball over, you should be in good shape here. Protect the football. And and make sure you don't give them short fields by punting it only 30 yards every single time Yes, you run your punter out there. Also, speaking of Iowa, Kyle, your other alma mater, Purdue, taking it to the Iowa Hawkeyes in Kinnick over the weekend, 24-7. to they, they came through. I mean, second half, Purdue had over 200 yards of offense, and Iowa was held under 50. Like, that just, that just doesn't happen. Um, it's – it is uh, – it's incredible that that happened, but Iowa State or Iowa's formula, it wasn't going to work the whole season. You can't rely on your defense to give you four turnovers every single game and your punter to pin your opponent inside the 10 every single game. You have to be able to throw the ball and win the game on offense, and it just it it finally came up to bite them. So, yeah, yeah, it did. Spencer Petras is just not not good enough to carry that team when the defense doesn't dominate. Anyway, sorry, that was off track. Um, Iowa lost. That that was the main point. Yay, Iowa lost. Means Minnesota Yay. might be in the driver's seat in the Big Ten West now, despite losing to Bowling Green. I'm just saying. Hey, as long as you lose your games outside of conference, 
Exactly. That's all that matters. Exactly. Exactly. Well, in the NFL, unlike in college, all the games matter equally. And we're already in week six, which means we're a third of the way through the NFL season now with uh, with uh, with this week in the books. Kyle, you want to fill us in on what happened in week six in the NFL? Yeah, week six was uh, it, the first Jacksonville Jaguars win of the season. Uh, that started us off in the morning window with the home away from home, Jacksonville, uh, going out to London to take on the Miami Dolphins. Miami got two at Tagovailoa back, uh, but it wasn't enough. Jacksonville hits two field goals in the last two minutes of the game to win. Um, so they get their first win on the season, snaps the second longest losing streak uh, in NFL history. Uh, speaking of streaks, Aaron Rodgers still owns the Bears. If you saw the uh, clip of Aaron Rodgers screaming at the fans in Soldier Field, I still own you. Uh, Bears fans, yeah, it, it doesn't look good for you. Your recent track record, record against Green Bay isn't great or against Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre since those two quarterbacks took over in Green Bay. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, after dropping that first game of the season, come storming back. They are now 5-1. and one. Uh, The Ravens are on a tear right now. After losing that opening game of the season uh, against the Las Vegas Raiders, they come out and absolutely trounce the Los Angeles Chargers, which were on a tear themselves. Uh, Justin Herbert never looked comfortable in this game. The running game was non-existent for L.A. And the Ravens were relying on the old-timers to get it done. Devontae Freeman had a touchdown. Le'Veon Bell had a touchdown. Uh, and uh, Latavius Murray also had a touchdown for Baltimore all on the ground. So turning back the hands of time in Baltimore. The Chiefs get back on track despite their continued turnover woes. Uh they, I, in my opinion, they saved their season with this win against um, Washington. Now, some of us, some of our listeners might be like, hold up, Kyle, it's only week six, save your season. Yeah, you lose to Washington, it, you don't deserve to be in this, in, in the race or in consideration to be in the playoffs. Not this year. Um, it was, it was a get right game for the Chiefs. They need to fix their turnover issues. Uh, speaking of issues, man, Mike, the I Vikings still hate kickers. Have you, the Vikings have you on pins and needles every single game. It's like they get out to a lead and they're just like, okay, this isn't fun anymore. This is we the hate leads. This is the second week in a row the Vikings have had a double-digit fourth-quarter lead and blown it. There was, there was one point in the fourth quarter where the Vikings literally had a 99.9% chance to win this game, according to ESPN's Football Power Index. Carolina was down 8 and had it 4th and 10 at their own 4. Minnesota had a 99.9% chance to win the game at that point. And they still managed to let Carolina drive down and score the game-winning touchdown, um, or the game-tying touchdown and two-point conversion against them. Kirk Cousins again led the Vikings back into field goal range like they did against Detroit. But this time, Greg Joseph misses it. Goes to overtime, the Vikings get the ball, and Kirk Cousins says, I'm also sick of kickers, and just leads a touchdown drive and ends the game himself. Um, 
So the Vikings do end up winning. Um, but what I want to talk about is a situation I see football coaches in all the time that I think is a mistake. And I want to get you guys's um, get your guys's take on this. So it's um, when you you you're up by one, you score a touchdown, so you're now up by seven, seven points. Do you go for two or do you kick the extra point? What what do you do here? Wait, say the situation again. You you're up by one, you yeah. just scored a touchdown, so now you're up by seven. Kick the extra point or go for two. Let's say it's the second half, for argument's sake. Okay. Late third quarter, early fourth quarter, somewhere in that way, for argument's sake. Uh, that's actually a good question. Go for two. Why not? Go for two. It, it makes it a two-possession game because you're already up by seven. Okay. Kyle says go for two. Wyatt? Uh, I would probably kick the extra point because then you force the other guy to go for two, which, I mean, statistically – you're less likely to do. I I agree. I mean, I see, I see your point, but I, I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent of going for two here, right? Because if you go for two and fail, you're still up seven, like Kyle said, and then should they score a touchdown, they score a they'll touchdown, just kick the extra point, the right? Extra They're not going to go for right? two. Go they'll for kick two. the extra point, to tie. The point to tie. You're still tied. You're still tied. Whereas if you go for two and make it, it's a two-possession game now, right? That's a completely different ball game. They got to score twice to beat you now. I'm a big proponent of going up nine instead of eight there, just because I think their odds of getting a two-point conversion are high enough, or aren't different enough than their odds of succeeding on an extra point that it that it's enough to matter. I'm a huge proponent of going for two in that situation. I don't know if anybody has... I haven't seen any hard numbers on what should be done in this situation. Um, and I'm sure it depends on time remaining in the game. But um, I'm a big proponent of going for two. To me, seven versus eight is not that big of a difference, but eight versus nine is, is huge. So, I don't know. Any other thoughts on that? I just wanted to talk about it because I got upset when Zimmer kicked the extra point instead of going for two. No, I mean, that makes sense. I still don't know if I would, but I'm also not a coach. I mean, yeah, that's true. But yeah, this is why they pay coaches the big bucks and not not, not us. But anyway, Kyle, you can continue with the rest of your NFL segment now. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It's a good thing to talk about. I mean, I couldn't stand being a Vikings fan right now. I think, well, I can't really stand being a Chiefs fan either. It makes me want to pull my hair out. But, hey, at least we have Harrison Butker, right? Uh, speaking of teams that are probably pulling their hair out right now uh, due to lack of availability is the Cleveland Browns. They're, they're stumbling now. Yeah, they've played some really tough games against some tough opponents this year. But they are battling a barrage of injuries right now. Uh, Nick Chubb is out. Uh, it was just announced uh, this on Monday that Kareem Hunt is also out uh, for a couple of weeks, potentially. Um, uh, Jarvis Landry has been out. 
two weeks in a row, Baker Mayfield has supposedly dislocated his shoulder. Shout out to Wyatt, who knows what's up about that. Uh, it, it's just looking tough for Cleveland right now as they're stumbling into week seven at 500 right now. Dallas just keeps rolling on. They are able to survive uh, New England um, in overtime. They move on to 5-1. and one. Trevon, Trayvon Diggs, look out for him as Defensive Player of the Year. I think he has six interceptions on the season. Um, one of them, one, either one or two returned for touchdowns. He's been phenomenal, a young corner for those Dallas Cowboys. The Broncos are brought back down to earth. They lose to... Uh, Las Vegas in Denver this weekend. After starting 3-0, and they are now 500, and the Seahawks are floundering without Russell Wilson. Um, Geno Smith was able to help lead them back to tie the game uh, in the second half, but a sack and then a strip sack fumble uh, cemented the game for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, so Seattle loses another. We are in the midst of the NFL season, but we are nearing the end of the MLB season, and things are starting to get very, very interesting. Mike, do you want to fill us in on the championship series? Yeah. So, well, first, we'll we'll just do a wrap on the division series because I know they weren't all complete last time we recorded. Um, You all know that the Rays um, outlasted, or the Rays got ousted, excuse me, by the Red Sox. That was breaking news on last week's episode. Um, the Astros also beat the White Sox um, in their series um, after Game 4 was rained out and rescheduled. Um, so you have the Astros and the Red Sox in the American League. Uh, are you guys rooting for the cheaters or the other cheaters in this series? That's that's a question. Any quest- Any Any thoughts? Cheaters I mean, you're talking big cheaters. cheaters or little cheaters? Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, I I, like, I, eh. I don't really care anymore. I'm rooting for both NL teams at this point because, I, I mean, I don't really want to root for the Dodgers, but, you know, Dodgers over cheaters, so. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I mean, I'm agree. really rooting for Atlanta. We'll get we'll more on the National League in a minute, but... Um, that series is tied at one with them splitting in um, uh, the first two games in Houston. Um, Boston is currently up nine to three in game three, so it's looking like they're going to take a two to one series lead. Um, but we will see um, as the rest of this game completes. Um, if Boston wins this game, that's certainly going to put them at an advantage. Um, it is also the first time the Red Sox now, the first time ever for a team that hit three grand slams in the same postseason series. Um, so um, that that's kind of a cool uh, a cool stat that three grand slams in the same series, two in game two and a third in game three um, here today. Um, we'll keep you informed on how that series ends on next week's episode. Over in the National League, the Braves ended up beating the Brewers in four games. The Brewers just did not have enough um, have enough offense to uh, to get that one done. They pitched well, but they did not quite have enough offense. Um, and then the Dodgers in a masterful um, game seven. That was just a heck of a game. 
that game seven between um, the Dodgers and the Giants. The Dodgers did get it done. Um, so good for them. Good on them. Um, just an incredible series between two very, very good teams. Um, so Atlanta versus the Dodgers. And Atlanta actually gets home field advantage in this series. Um, since the Dodgers were a wild card team, um, they, um, they can't have home field advantage. Despite having over 100 wins and Atlanta less than that, um, they still um, do not have home field advantage. So Atlanta actually walked off um, the Dodgers twice in these two series at home. So Atlanta is up two games to nothing with two wins um, in Atlanta on two walk-offs. Um, so the Dodgers are going to need to battle back um, at home now and see um, see what they can do. We'll keep you informed on that series as well. Um, in Mike's Stupid Rules, we are going to talk about a play that happened at the end of that White Sox um the end of that White Sox versus um, the White Sox versus Astros series, excuse me. And what happened there um, is that um, there was a pl- the runners on first and third with less than two outs, a ground ball to first place, um, first base, excuse me. Um, and the first baseman throws home to try to get the, the runner at home, cut down the runner there. The throw actually hits Yasmani Grandal, who's running um, at that time. And Yasmani Grandal was running actually on the grass on the infield side of first base. So there was a lot of confusion um, on this video, or on this play, excuse me, about whether this was interference, right? Whether this was runner's lane interference, right? Because we've talked about previously how you have to be on the left side of the, um, sorry, on the right side of the foul line, right, when running to first base. But the rule, that rule actually doesn't apply here because that rule only applies when the play is being made at first base. So since this is a throw towards home instead of a throw towards first, the runner's lane interference, the runner's lane in general, does not apply whatsoever in this case, okay? That only applies when the player is going to first. So if this throw is going the other direction from the catcher to the first baseman, then you have runner's lane interference on this play and he is out. But runner's lane interference does not apply here. So what rule does apply is rule 6.01, section A, part 10, where the runner um, is only out if he intentionally interferes with a thrown ball. So you can think of this as the play earlier in the year, or maybe it was last year, where the base runner jumped, so the ball hit him in the head, right, on a throw between first and second, right? So that's intentionally getting hit by the ball. You can choose your own baseline, right? Or your own base path, excuse me, there's a difference. Your own base path, So as long as he's in that established base path, which he was, and does not intentionally do something to get hit by a ball, that's completely legal. So that's why the umpire has got this call correct in saying there was no interference um, on that play. He was in his established base path, 
and did not intentionally do something to get hit by that ball. So that's why that was completely legal. Are there any questions about that? No, that none for me. That me. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And you can see, like, in in the video, if you go and watch it, uh, Yasmani Grandal doesn't make any effort by any means to jump into the way of that ball. He was just running. Right. Um, he, so. he, also, he also doesn't try to get out of the way of the ball, but he doesn't have to. Right. He's, yeah, he's run- it's not he's, his job to get out of the way. Exactly. He's legally running to first base. So that is, he does not have to try to get out of the way. So there you go. Was, that, was it a smart play? Is that one of those smart plays that Major League Baseball players, you know, keep in their back pocket? I don't know how you think of it that quickly on your feet if it just is reactionary, but yeah, I'd, I don't I'd know. Have, I'd have to look to see if um, that's any different than the normal path he takes to first base. I haven't analyzed that. Um, if it um, is, then yeah, so you got to think it's a heads-up play. But I, I know you don't like John Boy Media for these types of... Uh, uh, breakdowns but if you do watch his video John Boy Media at the end of the video does go through and finds I, I believe it's either five or six plays throughout the season where Yasmani Grandal grounds to the first baseman and he shows the clips of Grandal running down the first baseline he does run either to the right side towards the the dugout side of the line or right on the line uh, but in all of those videos he is not running on the grass so this could be in a an amazingly heads-up play by Yasmani Grandal that really impacted the outcome of that play. And it put the put the White Sox uh, on top in that game um, at that point in time. Yeah, I think that was a very heads-up play. I'm, I'm willing to give him credit for that. What is not very heads-up plays um, every week in this episode is our write-that-down prediction segment. Um, we're normally wrong more often than we're right. And that held true again this week with the one prediction that we're taking off the board. It's a prediction from Josh that said the Brewers would bring it back to win this series against Atlanta, which we just talked about that they didn't. So for that, Josh gets a nah. 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 That, that's it for accountability session. So as, as we do now, I will get us started um, with um, putting predictions back on the board. Um, my prediction, I'm going to predict with that after Iowa's lost, that Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, win the Big Ten West. Mm. Do you have stats on that? I feel like you have yeah. stats on that. Um, let me see if I can find stats. So according to 538, there's a 5% chance that they win the conference, but that would include when it, winning the conference championship game so it's higher than that let me see if i can get a number from espn's football power index for you real quick i'm pulling that up yes percentage chance that the gophers win their division according to the football power index is actually 20 percent according to espn's football power index so this is in double Triple. Does that does that feel like a double though? I feel like it doesn't feel like a double. I don't feel like it does. I think they have to play Iowa in Kinnick. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. It is in Kinnick. Yes, the game between Minnesota and Iowa is. I, in I mean, Kinnick. they Not have to go matters, through. But well, yeah, it doesn't matter apparently. <laughs> but you know, every team always has that home field advantage. Um, 
And obviously, that it's, a- it's most likely going through Iowa. Who's the other Big Ten West contenders right now? Um, Purdue. Purdue. Minnesota already beat Purdue. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I guess Northwestern and Wisconsin are both one and two. Right now, Iowa's three and one. Minnesota and Purdue are two and one. Northwestern, Wisconsin are one and two. Illinois is one and three, and Nebraska's one and four. Yeah, the, the only so, major contender there, in my opinion, is probably Iowa, um, unless Wisconsin somehow gets a win this weekend. Um, yeah, I, I'd still the, go for a triple. I'm feeling generous, so yeah. I think we should give this a triple. I'm good. I'm good with that. Yep, I'll take a triple. That's that's sort of what I was hoping for that. So. Yep. What do we got from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, still alive. He's enjoying life in Milwaukee. Um, Josh predicts that the Packers will double up on the Washington football team when they play um, next week. I mean, in, do you know in how Field. Do you know how hard it is to double up any NFL team? It it doesn't yeah. happen that often and Washington I think is a better football team than Chicago. I don't think this is going to happen. I don't either. So according to well, so according to Vegas, they are um, favored by nine and a half points. Um, yeah, I don't. If don't I was think a betting man, I'd take the under. <laughs> I just don't think the defense is good enough to uh, no. hold somebody to few enough points to double them up. So I'd the question t- is, are we going to give this a triple or a home run? Then I I would say triple. I don't think this is a home run by any uh, means. It's it's. I was I was between a double and a triple. Oh, it's not a double. It's definitely a triple. Okay, we'll do a triple. I'm there. I dig it. Wyatt, what do you got? Since currently, as far as I know, um, Iowa State is poised to beat Oklahoma State by seven points. I'm going to say that Iowa State wins by more than seven points this weekend. Okay, um, so you're taking uh, Iowa State and giving the points. Um, I mean, that should be a single, right? Because according to Vegas, it should be 50-50, and 50-50s are yeah. singles in our thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Wyatt, any complaints? Absolutely not. All right, single it is. Kyle, what about you? I, I'm i I'm doubling down on this, this Kyler Murray hype train. I think we are going to see another new MVP this season, and it will be Kyler Murray. So Kyler Murray wins MVP of the National Football League. Okay, um, MVP odds going into this week. I can't see the ones from before. Kyler Murray had the second best odds going into this week at plus 500 um, to win the NFL MVP. Um, what do you think? Double? I don't really yeah. know how I, to... I guess. Yeah, I don't really know how to, to score this. I'm okay with a double. Are you okay with a double, Kyle? Yeah, as long as it's not a single. I was like, I don't know if it's a triple or not because it's still a fairly young season, but we are a third of the way through. So, mm-hmm. uh, double feels right in my heart. Yeah, I'm good with a double. Sweet. So with a single, double, and two triples, that means we're at the end of the write that down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 147 of the 8311 cast. Make sure you check back next week for episode 148. But in the meantime, at least go check us out on Instagram at 8311cast. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. 
and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.